So I'm going to do the message like that. Is that okay with you guys? Uh, so, uh, you know, please keep your cameras in your, in your pockets, in your phones. I will just, I will stay in my lane. How about that? Um, I am so thankful that each and every one of you are here. If you have not uh, figured this out by now at Rolling Hills, there's a lot of things we're passionate about. And one of those things is the next generation. The next generation coming behind us. It, it, it pains me when people talk about the kids and the students and the teenagers being the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. And so all of you guys that are parents, that you have grandparents or kids or your neighbors have kids, we want you to know that we believe so deeply and so richly that this, uh, this body of believers will passionately always be about... Uh, empowering and raising our kids to know and to love Jesus and to point them to him uh, because this, these kids up here, the kids that are in your neighborhoods, they, they are the future world changers and the ones that are going to do amazing things as they grow up. And our job right now is to equip them and to empower them. So thank you. Thank you especially to the volunteers that came and gave up uh, so many hours on their Sunday to invest in these lives. And, and I, I pray that you were richly blessed as a, as a result of that. Not only are we a church that cares deeply about the next generation, we're also a church that, that seeks to go and to make a difference in the lives of people. And I, I jokingly say, we hope that you don't have to be at Rolling Hills very long to know that we care about about uh, the world and that we care about the needs of people in the world and people in our community. And so this past week, uh, amongst like other things that we've had going on throughout the course of this summer, we've had teams truly all over the world serving and investing in making a difference. And my wife and I had the privilege of being a part of one of our teams that were in the Amazon uh, this past week. We got back last night from spending a week with uh, Brazilian pastors and their wives. We had about 115 pastors that came from all over uh, the Amazon uh, to a conference center there. And I, I want you to know that amazing things are happening in the world, and you're a part of that. And you may say, well, I wasn't a part of that trip, or I wasn't a part of VBS. I, you know, how am I a part of all that? It's because of several things that things like that happen. It's because you give. It's because you entrust us with resources. It's because you serve and you go. All those things are a part of the big story, the redemptive story that God is writing. And it's, had, it's one of those experiences for us that were kind of hard to put into words, and I hope you've had those before, where you don't even really know how to find the words. Uh, but so many of those pastors are on boats as we speak, going into the recesses of the Amazon rainforest uh, to their villages and to their communities. And I want to share with you a story of one of those pastors and his wife. And I have a picture here for you. And uh, in the middle is Francisco, and Eliza Langela is her name, and uh, they're the two there in the middle. And uh, this couple, we had the privilege of being kind of the one-on-one interview with them. We interview every pastor and spend a lot of time hearing their stories. And this couple was amazing. They have, um, they've come to faith in Christ within the last year. And uh, Francisco, as they were telling us through a translator, Francisco was an alcoholic. He was deeply addicted. And uh, he said, after I became a Christ follower, those things were taken away. The Lord healed me and the Lord radically changed my life. And we are moving towards what his desire is for us. They have five children together. They were not married. The moment they became Christians, they said, we've got to get married now. And we've got to, our life needs to look different. And so the Lord was placing a call upon Francisco's life to start a church. And let me tell you, one of the reasons he wanted to start a church because there was zero churches in their village. Zero. It's not like there were a couple that were bad. There were none. No Christian evangelical churches. And so the Lord impressed upon his heart, you need to start a church. And so they didn't go out and have a building campaign or they didn't have any money to buy anything. They lived so, so, so meager already. And so they just opened up their home. And over the last year, Francisco has led 17 people in their village to Christ. 17 people. 
I'm going to stop you guys right there. That's a very puny clap for 17 people coming to faith in Christ. I'm a little bit fired up today. So 17 people came to faith in Christ. Thank you. And what you also need to know about this amazing couple is, to our knowledge, they traveled farther than anybody else to come to this conference. They left their house on July the 3rd for a conference that started on July the 15th. That's how long it took them to get there, by boat, by bus, back on a slow boat, back on a bus, wait a couple days to catch the next boat. And they were so eager and, and just desiring to hear truth, to equip them and to empower them. And I thought of so many of your faces so many times when we were talking because you're a part of this. And you're a part of the story. We asked them, when are you going to get back home? And they said, probably around the 1st of August is when we'll make it back home. And I thought, you know, while we're having hamburgers and hot dogs and shooting off fireworks, this couple was in a canoe <laughs> trying to make their way to receive training. And I, I share that with you to let you know that there are amazing things that are happening in the world, and it's so much bigger than right here in Nolansville. It's so much bigger than Middle Tennessee. It's so much bigger than the United States. It's so much bigger than even the parts of the world that we were able to go and serve in. And it's so much bigger than even this time right now and this day. God is doing an amazing work, and I hope and I pray that you would ask him today to show you how to be a part of it. What that means here in your community, what that means with your neighbors, what that means as you say yes to go and to serve. And I'm just so thankful to be on this journey with you and grateful for this opportunity to, to be on mission together. And so before we continue in our message this morning, I, I want us to pray for this couple. And I want us to pray for them and to pray that God would take them home safely and that God would equip them and give them all that they need to be the pastors that he's called them to be. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing couple. I thank you for their leadership. I thank you for their life. I thank you for the calling that you've placed and that you providentially made a way for them to come to this training. And I pray that over the next 13, 14 days as they travel back home, that you would bring them there safely and that you would allow the things that they've learned to take such deep root in the community of faith where they're leading. I pray that you would provide what they need financially. I pray for continued miracles to happen as transformation springs up in the life of people in their village and their community. I thank you for the seeds of the gospel that were sown at BBS. I thank you for what that's going to do in the days and the years and the months to come in the life of these children. I pray that each and every one of us would catch a vision today of how you've called us to live, how you've called us to be on mission for you, and how you've called us to be men and women who commit to repent and to grow and, and to be as, as faithful as we possibly can here in this day and in this age. I'm thankful for this day, and we just commit this day to you, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. My name's Jason. Uh, my wife and I have been going to Rolling Hills with our two daughters for about six years. So I did uh, struggle for a long time with alcoholism. I think it had to do with never really feeling wanted. I know my parents had me before they were quote unquote ready to have kids. So, uh, and then my sister came along about eight years later and they were ready for her. So there was always sort of that, that tension there. And I think there was always, uh, like we talk about here at Rolling Hills, sort of that God-sized hole inside. And I looked for a long time for something to fill that with. And by the time I was in my early 20s, it became alcohol. So the turning point was uh, July 2nd, 2010. And I found myself outside of uh, Daytona International Speedway in Florida in, in basically a forest. And I was so drunk I couldn't walk. And I literally fell into, into a ditch in the middle of nowhere. At that moment, I was literally at the bottom. 
and and I prayed. I prayed that that Jesus would come and that He would would heal me. And what happened next is is the part that I think people, you know, that are affiliated with AA or other programs really hate, and that is essentially that I was healed just in the blink of an eye. I don't know that repentance was the heart change that I now understand it to be. So I think repentance is a lot more than what I did was wrong, and I am sorry. I think repentance is what I did was wrong, I'm sorry, this is what I'm going to be doing differently. Through that process, there is a change that occurs, and I think it's at a hard level, and we become different, much like David did. I wanted to start today's message by reminding you something about yourself, and I want to remind me about myself, and that's that I'm not perfect, and you are not perfect. I hope that that's not a newsflash to you. Uh, maybe it's been the whole month of July since you've realized that, but if I'm the first to tell you that in the month of July, you're not perfect. You're a flawed individual, and I am a flawed individual. I jokingly say that if you knew just how flawed your pastor is, you'd probably go somewhere else to church. If there was a scrolling screen on my head that allowed you to see um, all of my struggles and all of the sin and all of the thoughts or whatever the case might be, you would probably very quietly pack up your Bible during a prayer and saying, we've got to go somewhere that is uh, with a pastor that's a little bit um, holier or a little bit, you know, whatever the case might be. But I, I'm reminded of this truth when I study this story of David, that God uses really flawed people that God uses really imperfect people to accomplish really significant things. And it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with him. This story that we've been studying this summer that we're almost finished with because the summer is almost at the end, which is so hard to believe, isn't it? This summer series of, of David, and, and last week we talked specifically about David's actions and, and how terrible they were and how horrific they were. But this morning, the story's going to take a little bit of a turn because we get to this point in the story where David has a genuine heart of repentance. He has a recognition of the wrong in his life and the recognition that he needs to seek to follow God and to give control of his life to God because David, for the most part, was a very faithful figure. He was a very faithful character, but he has these flaws. And as Pastor Chase talked about last week, he has these moments where he allows sin to take root in his life. And when you and I have sin in our life and we allow it to take root in our life, we should not be surprised if some of the similar things happen like they happen for David. Now, I'm not saying that as a result of sin that you're going to have someone taken out of this world, but as a result of sin, it's going to escalate in our life and it's going to cause us to do things that we know are not what God would desire us to do. And that's precisely what happened here with the life of David. Now, maybe this is the first time you've been here with us or you've not been a part of this summer study. And so I just kind of want to kind of catch up as to where we are. David is the man who's been anointed by God to be the new king of Israel. And David's been a very faithful figure. He's the same one that, you know, slayed the giant Goliath. Uh, he's the same one who was the shepherd boy, and he's been faithful. But yet in chapter 11, verse 1, David's life takes a little bit of a turn. Because what happens in chapter 11, verse 1, is as the leader, as the king, in the spring, it says in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, at the time when kings would go off to war, David remained at his home in Jerusalem. So see, the king should be out fighting the battle with the people. But what does David do? He chooses to stay home. And this was a choice that was going to have really significant implications because what he does is he allows himself to get too comfortable with Bathsheba. 
And because of his comfort with Bathsheba, there is a child that is conceived. And there is a child that is ultimately going to be born. But what David tries to do before this baby is born is he says, I'm going to see if there's some way I can work around this. Because I've made a mistake, and so instead of just owning up to that mistake, let me see if I can figure out a workaround. And so he says, if I invite Uriah home, then we can somehow just pass it off that this baby is his and not mine. But Uriah was a man of great character, and so he refuses to go home. He refuses to be there with his wife. And so that plan falls asunder. And so now David says, well, I, I can't continue to, I, I've got to figure out some way to cover this up. And so he says, now the natural next thing is, well, let me just have Uriah killed. And we'll just call and we'll have him put out on the front of the battle line. And that way, that'll just make everything better. That'll just take care of everything. And so David thinks that the problem is solved. He takes Bathsheba as his wife. And for all intent and purposes, you know, I have figured a workaround around my problem. However... God noticed. And God noticed that something was off. And so he sends the prophet Nathan to David to show him the error of his ways. And that's where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. See, this sin, first and foremost, it was very displeasing to the Lord. And that's what Nathan is reminding him. Your actions, David, are not pleasing to God. But what Nathan wants to do is he wants to paint this visual picture to make sure that David really understands what's going on. David was probably a lot like some of us. He heard the words but didn't understand the words coming out of Nathan's mouth. And so Nathan says, well, let me just paint a picture for you. Maybe you're more of a visual learner. And so let me tell you this story. There's this ruler. He's rich, and he has tons of livestock, tons of cattle, and a traveler comes through town. And instead of slaughtering one of his own animals, he takes the one animal that the poor man in his house has, and that's the one that he slaughters to feed the people who are traveling through town. And he says, David, how would that make you feel? And David says, is enraged. And he says, that man should have to pay it back four times over. Why would he ever do that? And Nathan looks at him and says, you're that man. Because see, the Lord has so richly blessed you. The Lord has given you everything. And what you have done is you have taken it outside of God's proper confines in God's context. And you've went against God's plan and you've tried to go your own way. And you've tried to, you know, you've, you've pursued something that was never God's design and God's, never God's intent for you. You should have been home when your men were out fighting. You should not have let this relationship with Bathsheba gone that far. You shouldn't have tried to cover it up. And you certainly shouldn't have had Uriah killed. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have. But that's where we are. 
And see, this story serves as a great reminder. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to remember this. This story serves as a really great reminder, and it's there in your notes if you want to fill in some of the blanks. This great reminder that sin never satisfies. Sin never satisfies. I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you agree or disagree with this statement, but I would venture to say that most of us will have a moment in our life when we realize that sin never satisfies because Nathan says, Everything in your master's house was yours. I gave you all Israel and all of Judea. And if that had been too little, I would have given you any more. But you despised the word of the Lord. And you went after what God never intended for you to go after. See, that's sin. And something that people in this room can understand, whether you're a preschooler uh, or maybe an elementary student or a grandparent, is that sin is this thing that separates us from God. It's why God sent his son Jesus to take our sin upon himself. It's that sin that separates us from God. It's the sin that makes us unholy. It's the sin that makes us not right. But see, that sin never satisfies. It doesn't stop us from trying, though, does it? It doesn't stop us from trying to continue to sin, to make ourselves feel a little bit better, or to provide some sense of whatever it might be in our life. But that sin ultimately does not bring us the satisfaction that Jason reminded us in this video of for that God-shaped hole that we have. But it doesn't stop us from trying. Andy Stanley, who's the pastor at North Point Church in Atlanta, I heard him say this at a conference a number of years ago, and he was referring to sin kind of in, a, in an appetite. Like if you think about sin in terms of an appetite, that your appetite only understands more. Your appetite understands more. I mean, that's really sin, is that sin always desires more sin. It's kind of like an appetite. Most of us don't have an appetite to eat less food. We have an appetite for more food. This happened to us when we were traveling back from Manaus. We were in the Manaus airport Saturday morning at 1 a.m. We're tired, exhausted, and I'm buying a bottle of water, and I make an impulse purchase, a can of Pringles. There was this beautiful display of Pringles in this little airport cafe. And, you know, Pringles have never changed their logo. I mean, it has been the red can with that logo for as long as I can remember, and I thought, I haven't had Pringles in ever. I've got to get some. And I start eating, and they're so good, and then Jacqueline eats a few, and then I keep eating, and I get to the bottom of the can, and I was like, who ate all my Pringles? <laughs> I ate all my Pringles. I just couldn't stop, because it was like, they're just so good. They're not as greasy as real potato chips, so it must be okay. <laughs> they have to be healthier. And I, I think about the appetites that we have in our life. They just scream for more, 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 more. And it's what sin does in our life. When we don't live our life in the proper confines, what sin does is it begins to grow like a weed in our life. And then as that sin never gets satisfied, we pour more water on it, more water on it, and then eventually we throw a little bit of miracle grow on it. And it just takes over everything. And it gets so out of control, and we believe that we're not hurting anyone. We think, you know what, nobody's really been hurt besides me. And friends, I want you to know that that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And I mean that in the most honest way that I can tell you. Your sin is affecting more than you. It is across the board affecting more than you. And it is a lie from the enemy that your actions are only going to affect you. They will have implications for people that you may not even know. And they will have implications for people that you love. Sometimes in areas that they may not even be aware of. See, David's sin had some pretty serious implications. It had some really serious implications for Uriah to the fact that he is no longer on the earth as a result of those sins and those consequences. And so this is what Nathan reminds him. Serves as a great reminder for us in verse 10. Now, therefore, 
The sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. In verse 11, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. It's this reminder, as you see there in your notes, if you want to fill in these blanks, that consequences. See, consequences serve as a constant reminder of our brokenness and our need for him. These consequences of sin in our life, they serve as a constant reminder of our brokenness and our need for him. It's why Nathan says, out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity up on you. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to stand up here in front of you as your pastor and tell you what the calamities are going to be in your life as a result of sin, because I don't know what those things are. But we see from Scripture, from beginning to end, that there are consequences of sin in our life. And there are consequences that we have to bear. It's why in the book of Exodus, very early on in God's word that he gave to his people, that he reminded us that the sins of the fathers sometimes manifest themselves in three to four generations down the line. But isn't that verse so amazing? If you know it, you know what's at the end of the verse. It also says the blessings of God manifest themselves in generations to come. And that's why I want to applaud you for being here. I want to applaud you as parents as saying, I want to keep my kids oriented around the right things. I want them to fall in love with Jesus, and I want their life to be set by his agenda. Because, see, those blessings are going to outlive you. And those blessings are going to be experienced in their grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-fill-in-the-blank grandchildren that you'll never be around to see. But those generational sins can also manifest themselves. And so, see, there's consequences and I don't know if they're going to be external. I, I don't know. Maybe they will be. But I certainly know that they'll be internal, that there's going to be internal struggles, and there's going to be those moments that remind us of our brokenness. Sometimes you find yourself maybe awake at night, and you don't know to sleep, and you think, what is it that's causing me to be awake? And then once you do some hard work, and you pull up a mirror, and you look, and you realize there's just some things that are not right. And the Lord is internally wanting me to move towards him and away from this world. Or there's just some things that are off, and I've never, known how to, um, I've never known how to acknowledge what they are, but maybe it's because of brokenness and sin and hurt and struggles in my life. And sometimes when we do that hard work, we realize that God has something he wants to teach us. And so there's always going to be some things that we're going to have to grapple with. And I hope and pray that you would realize that this is serious stuff, but praise God. Praise God he has not left us out there on our own to make all this right. Because, hey, we couldn't do it on our own. <laughs> we can't make ourselves right in our own power. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus. And this story is this beautiful precursor of our Savior that's going to come. This reminder that God is with us no matter how many times we mess up. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And so David has this moment where he realizes what he has done is wrong. But in your life and in my life, the consequences are there, the struggles are there, the sin is there, but we've got to realize that it's not enough to know that something is wrong. It's not enough to just know that something is wrong. We have to acknowledge the wrong. We have to acknowledge the wrong, and that's what repentance is all about. It's about acknowledging that wrong. It's why in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, David says to Nathan, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David realized it. He realized, I have sinned against the Lord. It has affected people. It has hurt people. But I have sinned against the Lord. See, I don't think that most of us need to be reminded that we're wrong. 
I actually don't think that it's my, I think it's my job as, as a pastor and it's my job as somebody who cares about you to help you and to pray with you and to guide you. I, I don't really think that most of us need to be reminded where we're wrong. I, I think we know that already. <laughs> I think there's just something about the power of the Holy Spirit if we're a Christ follower working in us that reveals those things to us. And if we're not a Christ follower yet, the Holy Spirit works to draw us to himself and to teach us and to show us and to remind us of his plan and his love for us. And so I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to shy away from talking about things that are right and are wrong. But I also know that in our heart of hearts, most of us probably know it. And if you talk to anyone who has ever experienced any kind of recovery in their life, they will tell you, if I could have done this on my own, I would have. Because I knew that it was not right. And I knew that the struggles were there. And I knew that there had to be something, be it, um, some program that God used or something that might be a little bit more mysterious by the world's perspective that God used to get a hold of my life. But I implore you, church, as your pastor, I implore you to be a group of people that don't just realize that something is wrong, but that take it to the next step and acknowledge that it's wrong. And to say, you know what? There are areas in my life that are off kilter and that are not where they need to be. They're off center, off God's center. It's been my experience in working with a lot of people that there's a lot of people that know what life looks like is wrong. There's a much smaller pool of people that are actually willing to do something about it and that are willing to say, you know what, I do acknowledge my sin just like David did, that I have sinned against the Lord. And that is when repentance happens. See, to not acknowledge and to try to figure these things out on our own, it's incredibly selfish because we're assuming that we're the only ones that are hurt. But what does Jesus call us to do? Jesus calls us to be selfless. And he says, I want you to understand that the implications of your sin are going to hurt people. And they're going to affect people that you may not even realize at this moment in time. But when we acknowledge the wrong, that's when repentance happens. And what happens in our life is that we then begin to experience God's forgiving nature. We experience God's forgiving nature when we repent of our wrongdoing. Some of you guys were thinking, when is this message going to get positive? It's positive now, okay? We experience God's forgiving nature when we repent of our wrongdoing. This is an amazing characteristic of God that we're forgiven by him. I pray that that is never lost on you. Never lost on you that God forgives you that God forgives you for your flaws. In fact, God, as he, was, as he sent his son Jesus to this earth, he lived a sinless life. Jesus took the cross for us. And he looked up on the very people who nailed him to a cross and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. They are helpless. They are under the control of the world. I came to make them right. I came to make them whole. And so we experience God's forgiving nature when we repent of, their, of our wrongdoing. And Nathan reminds David of this in chapter 12, verse 13. He replies to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The Lord has taken it away because you acknowledged it. You knew you were wrong. You acknowledged it, and the Lord took it away. It's in 1 John 1, 9, a very similar truth from the New Testament, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive us for our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That is incredibly good news this morning. It was incredibly good news for those 17 people in Francisco's village. Because they heard about a life-giving truth. Uh, his wife told us he was talking, and his wife kind of hit the knee of the translator and said, through the translator, there's something I need to add. She said, all 17 of those people came to faith in Christ because they knew him. And they knew his life. 
And they saw the difference. And when they saw the difference, they said, we want that. He was broken from the power of addiction. She looks at us, at Jacqueline and I, and she said, I'm so thankful. Because I thought to myself as I was talking to her, I thought, what is this mother of five kids going through? I mean, she has been on a boat for 13 days. I'm sure missing those kids terribly. Because they wanted to grow and they wanted to be the pastors that God had called them. And I thought to myself, what a sacrifice that you have made. And I kind of said that to her. And she communicates back to us, this isn't a sacrifice. I'm so glad to have my husband back. So if this is what it took, these kids got their dad back. This community is going to be changed. And I look forward to the day that those of us that know Christ, that we can celebrate with Francisco. And those 17-fold, many, many more, I'm sure, in his lifetime, that are going to come to faith in Christ because it's good news. It's good news. And that true repentance is, is found when we understand what God has done for us. And God uses your life as you interact with other people to show them that he has a plan for their life. And see, that true repentance is met with really genuine forgiveness. So much so, what does David do? Verse 29, keep scrolling down when you get to verse 29. What does David do? It says in verse 29 of chapter 12, that David mustered the entire army and he went back. Stop right there. Where was he supposed to be the first time? With the army. It was because he didn't obey what God had asked him to do, the the role that he had, that he got in trouble in the first place. He acknowledges his sin. God makes him whole. He gets back out there where he's needed to be. Out with the army, leading in the battles. See, David goes back to fighting with the army. So when you acknowledge those areas of needed repentance in your life, it's also incumbent upon us to change direction. And to change our path and to change our trajectory, it's not enough to know that it's wrong. It's not even enough to acknowledge it. We've got to take those next steps. And see, David remains so faithful. In fact, he is this incredible story of faithfulness. And my desire is to be a man of faith, to be a man like David, who is a man after God's own heart. But may we never forget that this story reminds us that God uses the brokenness to still accomplish his purposes. And he uses the flawed characters to accomplish what only he can accomplish. May we never forget that no one is immune from sin. And no one is beyond God's reach. No one is immune from sin and no one is beyond God's reach. See, absolutely none of us are immune from sin. None of us in this room are immune from making terribly poor decisions where we allow sin to take root in our life. In fact, I want to speak to you this morning. If you're in the group of people this morning, that maybe you would think to yourself, you know what, I'm really immune from making a poor choice. I'm really immune from making a poor decision. Friends, I want to tell you, sin is crouching right at your door, ready to take over. I've seen it so many times. And some of you are shaking your heads because you've seen it as well. The moment when we say, the moment we, when we knock over the drums. The moment when we say, I am immune from sin. I'm all good. There's no need for me to go to church anymore. There's no need for me to read my Bible anymore. I think my kids are going to be okay because sports are going to help them in a way that God's not going to. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that, but it's true. Your kids can become experts in all the wrong things. 
you can become experts in all the wrong things. And what we need to happen is, I'm not saying take them out of everything. It's just the balance. And you've got to know that sin is crouching at the door. And it is ready to take over your life like a lion, like a wolf that's going to attack a little lamb that got away from the fold. And so David reminds us of that, saying we're not immune from sin. But, praise God, we're also not beyond, none of us are beyond God's reach. It doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter our struggles. It doesn't matter how many times we have messed up. If you've messed up and you're sitting here this morning thinking, God could not use me because you have no idea what I have been through. I would say to you, God wants to use you because of what you've been through. Because of the things that he has done. Because of the way that he has grown you and he has stretched you. Look at the life of David. Goodness sake, look at the life of the disciples. They were about as imperfect as anybody could be, and God used them to change the world and to spread the message of the gospel. Now, Psalm 51, as we wrap up for today, Psalm 51, as many of you know, it's this written recourse, it's this written psalm that David penned after this moment with Bathsheba. It may say it there in the subject heading of your Bible that this was what David wrote after he came to the realization of what had happened in his life with Bathsheba and how that was wrong and this repentance that comes. And he says in verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 51, that I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and I've done what's evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. He says, against you have I sinned and my sin is always before me. And then he goes on to verse 10 though. And he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So create in me a pure heart. Renew your steadfast love to me. And what happens is that repentance then leads to restoration. It leads to making us whole. And to where we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him. At verse 12, he continues to say, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, to restore to me the joy of my salvation. Isn't it amazing how sin, it robs our joy for living for Jesus. It robs the joy that Jesus needs and desires to give to us. And then he continues in verse 13, that I will teach your transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I love this, and I can't think of a better way to close out our service today. That David actually says, I will then teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. You know what David's saying there? David is saying, Lord, all parts of my life you can use. And you're going to use me in my imperfections to point other people to you. God is desiring and wants to use each and every one of you, good and the bad. The good parts of your life and the struggles of your life to point people to him. My question to you this morning is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be used? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm not perfect, and I pray that you would do what only you can do? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Because I believe there's great power in repentance, and perhaps some of us today need to take that step. We need to take that step of repenting to God and asking him to come and to heal us and make us whole. And so maybe you're here this morning, and, and this is true of you. Sin has a hold on your life. You've never confessed to God your need for him. You've never asked him to come. You've never acknowledged his goodness in your life. And if that's you this morning, I, I hope and pray that you will not leave this place this morning until you talk to someone about that. In fact, in this time of worship, you could even pray a prayer that sounds a little bit something like this. You could say, Lord, I'm flawed. I'm perfect, and I know that it's sin that separates me from you. 
but I also know that you sent your son Jesus to give me life. And so I give control of my life to you, Lord. I give control of my life to you. Maybe that's a step you need to take. And if you want to take that step and you want to talk to somebody about that step, then do me a favor. Stick around after the service and make your way up here to the front and there'll be some leaders that would love to pray with you. And then the second thing that we need to realize is that all of us this morning are, are struggling. We're all struggling with something. We've all got some areas in our life that we need to constantly remind ourselves, God, you control that and you're over that and you're working with me in and through that. And so we want to give you this opportunity this morning to respond to that. I don't know what it might be, but whatever it might be, maybe it's something that's unconfessed or maybe it's something that you just need to remind yourself this morning. God is with me in, in the midst of that struggle or that sin or whatever it might be. And on your worship guide today, there's a little slip of paper and it should have been paper clipped at the top of that worship guide. And as the band leads us here in just a moment, I, I want you to just write whatever that is. It can be a word, it can be a sentence, it can be whatever you desire for it to be. And once you're finished with that, as the band sings, there's two tables set up here in the room, one up here in the front and one in the back. And I want you to just simply take those slips of paper and I want you to place them in those bowls that are there on the table. And after a few minutes, I want you to see what happens. Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. I'm grateful for your presence. I'm grateful for your son, Jesus, that makes us whole and makes us right. I pray that whatever it is that we're struggling with this morning, whatever it is that we need to continue to make ourselves whole, that you would teach us, grow us, and make us more like you today. I pray for healing to sweep across this place. I pray for confession and repentance to come in the lives of each and every person in this room. I'm grateful for who you are. I'm grateful for all of your blessings. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. I want you to make your way to these tables. I see shattered. You see hope. I see broken. You see beautiful And you're helping me To believe You're restoring me Piece by piece There's nothing to
get this bowl to see if I could see what some of your struggles were. And it's all dissolved. Somebody wrote with a really bright blue ink and that's all I can see. It's dissolved. If you have a kid in the room, take them to one of these bowls this morning before you exit this morning and let them see it. That when you bring your brokenness to God, what does he do? He makes it disappear. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I don't hold that against you. My crimson red blood came to make you whole and to make you right, to make you realize that you can't be good in your own power. It's only because of me. And so I pray this morning that whatever the Lord is doing in your life, that you wouldn't leave this place today without saying, God, I acknowledge that I am so flawed and so imperfect and you seek to make me whole. You seem to make me, you seek to make me clean, to take those filthy rags and to turn them into something beautiful. If you need someone to pray with you this morning, again, there's gonna be people in this room that would be honored to do that. And you can just kind of hang around up here in the front and stick around after the service and we'll find you and come alongside you and pray for you and listen in any way that we can. I'm grateful that we get to be on this journey together. I'm grateful for each and every person who's here. And I'm grateful for what God's doing in the life of our church and that he's giving us an opportunity today to just be reminded. Reminded of his mercies, those mercies that are so new every day that cover the multitude of sins, the multitude of struggles in our life. And so I pray that you'll commit and repent and acknowledge and seek to live for him. And what's going to happen is the world's going to take note of that. Those people in your life, they're going to take note of that and you're going to be able to allow your life as it meets their life to, to point them in the direction that God would have them to go. And so I look forward to celebrating what it is that God does as we seek to be faithful for Him. I'm again grateful for this journey and grateful that we get to be on it together. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward as we continue in worship by giving. This is an opportunity for you to give. It's also an opportunity for you to share with us a prayer request or a praise. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you want us to know about. Jot that down. If, you've, if, if, if you're thinking, I, I don't have time to write it down, still go ahead and write it down and just bring it to one of us after the service so we can pray for you this week about whatever it is that's going on in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to give, to trust you with our life, to trust you with all that you've given us. I pray that you would take these resources, that you would use them as we seek to see our community come to know you. And I pray that the work that's happening across the world would continue to be built up and expanded and grown as a result of the faithfulness and the stewardship of the people in this room. I also pray that you would take each of our needs, take each of our challenges, take each of our struggles and use them, Lord, in a powerful way 
so that we can ultimately grow in our trust and our faith in you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. As our ushers uh, collect our offering, again, I just want to say thank you for being here. I have so enjoyed being in the house of the Lord with you in this elementary school cafeteria uh, today. And I hope and pray that the Lord is um, just continuing to show you exactly what it is that he desires to do in your life and that you would be faithful to that. As we started the message, we talk about ways that we want to serve and we want to make a difference here in our community. And this upcoming Saturday, we want to continue to serve and to make a difference here in our community. And we invite each and every one of you to be a part of that. We're going to have a cleanup day right here at Nolensville Elementary School next Saturday which is July the 27th from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. And it's an opportunity for you, anybody, age, skill level, whatever the case might be, to come and do something. We've got a lot of outside landscaping we're going to do, some inside things to just kind of help the school get ready for this next year. We're actually partnering with the PTO on this, which is a fun opportunity for us to work alongside the PTO of the school to to just help in whatever way we can. Um, Everybody is invited to come. You don't have to register. You don't have to let us know. Just show up. There'll be a a lot of people here, and so it's going to to be a lot of fun. If you can't commit to the entire time, uh, can I come for an hour? Absolutely. Can I bring my kids? Absolutely. There's something to do. Just bring some gloves. If you have hedge trimmers or clippers or whatever that might be helpful, just bring it. If you've walked around the school and thought, that tree really needs to be trimmed, guess what? You can be the one to do it, okay? Uh, so if this is an opportunity for you to see a need, meet a need. If there's something that you've wanted to do on the grounds of the school, then I would more than happy allow you to do that next week. So we want to be helpful and we want to serve our community and let them know that, that we really value this relationship as, as we do. So much so, this school has been such an amazing blessing for us, and we want to be a blessing to them in any way that we can. So I hope that as many of you as possible can be a part of that here next Saturday. Again, we're grateful for you being here, grateful for what God is doing in your life, what God is allowing us to be a part of, and I hope you have just an awesome Sunday afternoon. You can consider yourself dismissed, and we will see you here on Saturday. Have a great weekend.